Good morning, everybody. This is the Limit Up Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jack. Dan will be joining us shortly. First off, I'd like to wish everybody out there a happy Easter, happy Passover, happy Ramadan, whatever you're into. And if you're into nothing, happy Friday. Have a nice weekend. But before you leave for the weekend, be sure to listen to this episode because we're talking about journaling. And every trader out there knows that if you want to get better, you need to be doing it. It's impossible to know what's going to work in the future if you don't have a good record of what has and has not in the past. So today we'll be discussing both objective, fact-driven, mathematical journaling, as well as the emotional end of it, which Dan gets into quite a bit. I'd also like to mention we have a new live trading show, Make Hogue Money, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings at 8.25 p.m., where John Hoagland will collaborate with some lucky people on the Zoom call and make some live trades. Hopefully, we'll pick some winners. If you want that Zoom link, we're going to be sending it out soon, so keep a watch out for that. But if you need it now, absolutely need it, you can email support at topstep.com, and we'll get you hooked up there. So with all of that out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Good afternoon, friends and traders. Welcome to the Limit Up Podcast. I am Dan Hodgman, sitting down with, as usual, Jack Feltzer. Jack, how are you? I am doing fantastic, thank you. I am definitely behind schedule here. I was in a previous meeting, so I'm frantically going around, hitting record in various areas, trying to figure out my notes for today. But besides that, I'm doing great. How you been, Dan? Uh, not too bad. Ready for the weekend. we got a quiet day tomorrow. Markets are closed. Things are quieting up uh, as we head into a little bit of a long weekend here, which I'm looking forward to. And I'll tell you what, Jack, really quick, I'll go run through what happened here in the markets today, let you continue getting settled in. Um, first and foremost, let's start out with crude oil. It's kind of been the talk for quite a while. Everyone's paying a close attention to that one as we uh, are paying more at the pumps. We saw CPI recently, an uptick in oil year over year. Um, well, that's not really stopping. Uh, big move today. Market opened up a low settlement price near the overnight low and really rallied um, from 102, approximately $102 a share, or a, a, a contract, all the way up to 107 uh, peeled off a little bit here today, but uh, a nice $5 move there. Then you got equities. Jack, we were just talking about this a minute ago. Uh, opened up this morning. They started to sell and really have not slowed down whatsoever. I think uh, there's a lot leaning into that one. Yeah, it's the same old story from last week. You'll notice the 10-year rate is up a decent amount today. And as the 10-year rate goes up, stocks will all go down. But most of all, our friend the NASDAQ will lead the way. So that's how we're seeing right now. Uh, you know, small caps down a percent, S&P down 1.3%, NASDAQ down that big 2.4%. With the big raises comes the big falls. Rate yeah, sensitivity. Jack you bring up something interesting here too, right? Rates are up, stocks are down. Well, when rates go up, what is the other factor? What is the other main market that we start to see sell off? Bonds. What's your favorite? Yeah. yeah. Bonds. You see the bonds and notes start to sell. So when you get these rates increasing, you're going to see bonds start to look lower, which we saw here in the 10-year note on the same page with the equities. Um, big sell off here today. I mean, we're still, there's still that yawning gap we talk about between the CPI came out. Uh, we didn't get to talk about that because that happened, 
I think that happened after we recorded last week. But CPI came out at 8.4% or something, a 40-year high. Still a huge gap there between 8.4% and 2.8% about, which is where we're at now. You'll notice a couple of weeks ago I said we really got to watch out for that big round number, that 3%. 3% 3 to 3.2%. I think that's what stuff's going to get real, as they say. So keep an eye on that. As we talk about real stuff here, Jack, I think one of the most important things when markets start getting a little wild, a little crazy, um, we got to keep ourselves grounded. Jack, what do we usually talk about when it comes to uh, keeping ourselves grounded, paying attention to what's going on, and uh, protecting ourselves to be consistent in our trading? Yeah, well, that's kind of the topic of today. We were talking about journaling, but we're going to talk about objective journaling more hand today because there's two types of ways that you trade. So Dan, are you finished talking about today's market? Shall we launch into this or do you got Let's a launch more? in. All Let's right. launch in. All right. There's two ways. Well, first off, everyone knows out there that if you're a successful trader, it has to be based on data. It has to be based on what objective things you have observed in the past, right? That's called research. And there's two main parts of research. Okay? The hard data and sort of your emotional feelings about it. Both of them are important, and they can both go in your journal. Good traders journal for that reason. You need to have a record of the past so that you can go forward and not make those mistakes again or find out what works. Now, many of you are probably familiar with the more, I'll say, subjective trading journal where you write down that you took a trade and sort of what you were feeling at the time, why you were doing it, sort of like a diary, the type you would keep locked away under your bed. You don't want anyone reading that journal, right? There's another type that I think uh, a lot of the people that we see aren't keeping, which is a super objective data-driven one where you have, say, an Excel sheet that you have all sorts of variables, and then you can put histograms of your trade by the day they happened, everything else. And I thought we were going to talk a little bit about that today because I saw an article written by, uh, I guess he goes by O Captain on TradingView that I thought was a real succinct way of describing these objective journals. And Dan and I have both watched it. So I'll stop talking for a second and let you say your thoughts on, Dan, what, what do you keep as far as hard data on your trades? Uh, you know, Jack, I know there's a lot of talk about that emotional state. I think that's a phenomenal thing for newer traders getting into this. we got to kind of learn about ourselves, learn our emotions. But when you're starting to get into the thick of it and you've been around for a little while, you have an understanding of those emotions. I don't think that's the best journaling for me. I will say at the end of any trading day, I look back throughout my day. How was I feeling? I sit down in the morning. I think through those things. But throughout the, my regular session of the day, I'm, I'm pretty just focused on what my trading is going to be. So to me, for my journaling, the detailed oriented stuff I'm doing is I'm t looking at my trades. I'm going, I'm laying each one out. What was the setup? What was the system? I kind of look at it in a couple different parts. You know, where was it when I saw the trade? What what were the outline? What were the factors that made me look for this trade? The next thing I'm looking at, what's this market state? How is this market setting up? If this is coming into an area that I like a trade, are we range bound? Are we trending? Are we in a channel? Are we breaking out? What's going on there? I need to understand that. And I got to ask myself the follow-up thing. And these are the three things that I usually do when it comes to journaling throughout my day. The last one here is strictly I'm 
looking where could my entry be and what's my risk versus reward in that trade. Mm -hmm. Those are my hard points that I really pay attention to. Obviously, there's a lot more that goes into it. Outcomes of trades, how long you're in them. I mean, you can go on for days, but it really comes down to, um, for me, those three things. And I'll run through that again. I even have them written down, but uh, it's find that signal. So number one, we're looking for what is that signal? Uh, What, where is the signal? I found my signal. Okay, number two, what is my market state? Does this signal work inside this market state, right? If I'm approaching a resistance, uh, a prior area of resistance, okay? If I'm in a range-bound trade, okay, I'm looking to short that thing because I want to see that market start to rotate back inside. Now, if I'm trending higher and I'm seeing this market make new highs and we're at a previous resistance area, I'm going to be a little bit more hesitant and say, hey, I'm not looking for this market to change directions. I'm a little too far away. I got to find this thing pulling back a little bit. And then lastly, that third one, I'll say it one last time, find that entry and determine my risk, whether I'm going to get in. And when I say find that, determine that risk, I'm determining my profit target versus my risk. That was a succinct list there, Dan. Thank you very much. Yeah, I would be willing to bet that I don't have this data, but I would be willing to bet my life on it. When we look at the top step environment and the trader's as a whole, a small percent consistently journal every day. And I think that an even smaller percent are back testing. And so I'm going to transition into sort of the objective side of why a adhering to your strategies and then recording them in a consistent way is going to make you much more successful trader. So, The guy that I saw do it, he just kept track of the asset he was trading, the date, the time in, the time out, the direction, and how much money was on it, okay? And using that information, you can come up with an incredible amount of strategic insights, but only if you're consistent, because this was the part that I liked, and I think that I can... um, display this now all right this particular trader wagered the same amount on every trade it was one percent of his account and this is something i wish more uh retail traders would do out there all right one one percent and every trade was looking for a three to one risk reward where he would either lose one percent or make three percent all right and that's how you grow an account exponentially and it's also how you limit your losses when we get into capital preservation and that number changes so if you go down money your one percent that you're wagering is going down if you're up money all right if you keep building that account that is a sustainable way to grow your account i think way too many people out there are just looking in pure dollars things and willy-nilly betting 20% of their account on one trade. You can't do that and be sustainable. And if you find something that's two to one, three to one, that works even to, you know 40% of the time, you're going to grow that account. And you can only see if your strategy is working, though, if you stick to that and don't bail on trades early, don't move your stops around for no reason whatsoever and especially don't let uh you know move your stops back that's probably the worst thing that 
I see beginner traders doing is you have your stop level, you set it there for a reason, it gets close to it, and then you move it back. Why would you do that? I don't know. Jack, I want to clarify one thing you said, or kind of add on to something you said here. You know, you're talking this one one to three percent. I think that's a phenomenal thing to think about whenever you're trading. The one thing I can't stress enough to any trader out there is just because you see a trade doesn't mean you automatically set that stop to one and that reward to three. You have to recognize I can only get into this trade if it falls into an area that the risk that I'm willing to take on the trade, that stop is at a point of invalidation, right? So I think that's right. where so many traders, that's where the consistency part goes out the window is because they said, I'm, I'm consistent to my execution, but you're not consistent to the plan. If mm -hmm. the plan says your risk is 1% or let's just say $100, you need to enter into that trade where if it goes 100 against, you're starting to look at that trade's no longer valid. Not mm -hmm. valid in the sense of you got stopped out, but valid in the sense of you're probably not going to take that long at that point. And so that's really what you need to be thinking about to help create that consistency. Right. And I think the most important part is if you don't follow through with your plan, and there will be some baby noises here. We are at a state of constant flux here at the Pelzer household. <laughs> uh, that is the work from home environment. I think that you also invalidate any insights. If, if you don't follow your plan, if you're recording all this, it still doesn't help if you're changing the plan around. You'll never have an idea of whether your strategy works if you keep on entering at it, but then just kind of getting in or out of it wherever it feels right, right? You got to have, should be like a flow chart, your strategy, right? And over time, if you keep on following that flow chart, you will learn one way or another if that strategy works or if it doesn't in a scientific way. If you just start shooting from the hip, uh, you're just kind of treading water and that's not a great place to be. Exactly. As you want to develop as a trader, it's this consistency is so important. Like Jaxer said, if you're shooting from the hip, you're not going to figure it out. But if you're shooting from that same location at the same thing every single time, you're going to be able to start to hone things in. You know, you'll, you tighten, you tighten uh, the area just a little bit. And as you tighten things up and it's, it's very incremental, minute changes, just a little bit, little tweak. What do I need to find here? And what I would say too, when you're in this back testing area, at the end of the day, go back and look at the trades. The ones that did not go in your favor, look at what it would have taken for that trade to work. Annotate that stuff. This is where, to me, journaling is super important is because you can look back, you can see exactly what you did, at what times, what you were looking at, you know what that trade turned out to be, what would it have taken to be a profitable trade, the trade that you could have made money in. When you start to see those things, this is where a lot of times I see a lot of traders that they're getting in here and trading and they're keeping their stops relatively tight and they're taking a lot of trades because those stops are super tight. But then if you start to look at it, they have great direction, they have good entries, their stops are just a little tight. And if you open up that stop a little bit, you find a better opportunity and you can sit there and go, okay, instead of taking 30 trades in a day, I can take five. And those five are going to be more profitable than most of the days that I take 30. Yeah. If you stay true to your strategy and record it, even if you're losing, you learn something. Because like you said there, if you're noticing that you run your strategy and you keep on a surprising amount of time, get stopped out by a little bit, then it works. Well, you've learned something. 
like you said, you, that means you got to wide it out. I'll say I'll say that the other side of that coin is true, but it's rare. I I, I feel like it's. Uh, I was watching like a golf instructional video the other day. Some some, some teacher who said, said he's probably seen you know a thousand golfer swings, and it's like only three of them or something like that had too much shaft lean or whatever. Everybody has the same problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say motor retail traders, the uh, stops and targets are overwhelmingly way too tight. Um, but theoretically, if you looked and said like, wow, my strategy is working, but I- I'm never getting in because I'm never getting hit at these spots. Well, then you can tighten it up. And that'll change based on the volatility of the product you're trading. So everything's always out there to be adjusted. Yeah, Jack, we got a question came in from Nicholas. Um, sure. I like this. I think it's uh, a good question. How do you decide when to allow that 3% to run to a higher percentage, uh, which be, would be abandoning abandoning, abandoning the plan? You don't, with caveats. If you want to see consistently if something works, right, it's almost like a new trade at that point. I'm a believer with something like this, if you're trading outrights, that if what you're looking for is three to one and you've built a strategy like that, then you should just take that as the three winner there and be done with it. That's a good risk reward. I suppose if you, at that point, say it went there and there was still some other part of your strategy that was saying that, oh, this still looks good, then fine. Um, maybe treat it as a new trade. What do you think on that, Dan? Yeah, I think, you know, number one, Nicholas, good question. Um, if you're going to let that run, that needs to be part of the plan, right? Like that has to be part of the plan. But when we're, what Jack's talking about here is this idea of backtesting and working through a system and really honing in and developing a good system. When you're doing that, you don't want to change. You don't want to deviate because you need to, you want to determine the success of that strategy because not every trade you're going to take or every day that you're trading you're going to find that runner you want to see can i hit that three percent mark or can i hit that profit target consistently to be a profitable trader when you start getting into your trading and you're starting to really hone in on that uh, that strategy that's when you can have a plan of how you trail stops and when i say trailing stops you can do it a little bit differently we have a ton of content on that out there so i'm not going to get too deep into it um but it's an art form and it's something you'll have to start to work on. But really, in my, when you're looking at this and you're developing your strategy and you're working through this journaling like this, stick to the plan. Yeah. It's not about how much money I can make, but can I make money consistently? I think I have a more insightful answer to his question now. All right. If your strategy is to go for the three to one, then take the three to one. But these aren't the only strategies. If the strategy is that you're looking for a trend or something like that, then your strategy should involve, like Dan said, how you're trailing your stops. Are you using time stops? Are you using some sort of volatility stop or some sort of invalidation? That's fine. Then let it run. Just make sure that you're consistent in what you're doing, not just kind of, you know, moving stops around for the hell of it. Just the same way that we talked earlier about just kind of bailing on trades or stuff. That's a form of it. Just moving your stop without a strategy behind it is the same phenomenon, I would say. 
I would agree. I think once you, if you just say, hey, this market's running, I'm going to let, I'm going to peel my profit target off and just let it go. And you really don't have a plan of how you're going to trail it or where that next stop out is or where you're going to take it to. Let's just stay with that three to one, lock it in, profitable, successful, good trade. Because at the end of the day, we can sit here and play this game of, well, the market kept going. I was long here. If I would have stayed in, I could have made this much. Well, that was not part of the plan. The plan said you're looking for three to one. You got your three to one. That was a success. When you start looking for runners all the time, it's going to be very difficult to create consistency. Yeah, but you could still build a sheet for that, right? So it's the same idea that, say, you're risking 1% of your account again. It's just instead of having a set reward to risk ratio, you have a set strategy for getting out, right? So what that might look like is you lose 1%, you lose 1%, you lose 1%, you make 10%, you make or 12% or something like that. And you can still evaluate the same way. You can figure out what your expected value is in the trade, but it comes down to just having a reason, not just letting run and just kind of sitting around and hodling. I think that's the word. Dan, did I tell you this? I meant to send this to the Slack, and I can't believe I haven't yet. I was at my parents' place um, out by Elmwood Park, and there's a Chinese restaurant I've been going to for my entire life. Fantastic food. I'll give the pump to Lotus in, uh, I guess it's technically a Chicago address. Um, great Chinese food. The fortune cookies came. And my dad opens up the fortune cookie because, you know, my dad's the dad joke guy, so he always likes to, you know, add the you know, in bed or whatever at the end of it. Um, <laughs> but he's staring at it and he's trying to read it. And he's, he's like having trouble reading it. And I'm like, what's going on here? And I look at it and it says something about hodling. I'm like, what is going on? And I flipped it over and it was FTX, the crypto exchange. And all the fortune cookies, I kid you not, were sponsored by FTX and each of the fortunes were about crypto. Uh, that's one of the wildest, craziest marketing things I've ever seen. That I, I think is some real down home guerrilla marketing right there. Just stick it in the uh, stick it in the fortune cookie and we'll get people to buy. Is that yeah? What, what we do? We should put like top step in the uh, I don't know, like the center of a, a magic eight ball or something. I, I, I have no idea. <laughs> But man, that, I was that upset me somehow. I just I just needed to say that there because I don't know. I was wondering where we were going with this Chinese food in Elmwood Park. <laughs> <laughs> That's where most of my stories end, to be honest. But good place. So um, to get back on track, there, uh, I would just encourage everybody to. There's plenty of templates out there online where you can build your own, or Top Step might be coming out with one in a few weeks. Wink, wink. But definitely give it a try of just trying to consistently record each of your trades because there's a lot more than just looking at your overall uh, risk reward and average winning and average losing trade. There's so much to it. And, you know, I think Jack kind of alluded to it a little bit. There's a ton of different uh, trade plans you can kind of put together. So when I have my three little bullet points, there's a lot more caveats that go into it, right? Like, you know, Nicholas's question, at what point do I allow my trade to run? Well, we're looking for consistent things, right? Were we in a range trade and it broke out? It broke out of that range and I was able to maintain direction with it and hold that trade. Okay, that's a reason to look for uh, holding onto that trade. So you can have a lot more caveats. I think we kind of hit the high level here, 
but there's a lot more you can put into these. I mean, if you were to go find any one of us and you ask us about our trade plan, I mean, it would be pages and there's so, so many different things that we've developed over the years. Everyone's the same, but when it comes to back testing, you're trying to figure out something new, keep it very simple. As they say, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I swear by that. I think if you keep trading in general, everything you do in it to a simplistic manner, you're going to have a lot more fun. Um, you're going to be a little bit more comfortable doing it. And uh, as we say in the Marine Corps, we break it down Barney style, break it down by the numbers, keep things super simple so that it doesn't get overwhelming. When you start adding tons of stuff into it and you don't even understand the, the language that you're writing in, it's probably a little, uh, little too much. Reel it in a little bit. Yeah, there's an opportunity for breakdown. There's also something in like uh, data and mathematics, the idea of you might be like overfitting. If you're back testing and including 17 variables you're looking at, uh, you're essentially just molding everything to the data and not really gaining anything that's works for the future, right? I won't go too far down that rabbit hole because it'll be boring as hell you know what's not boring as hell dan uh, we could finish off here uh make hook money make hook money well i'll give that the plug right now check out tuesday and thursday morning at 8 25 on the youtube channel uh no it's not on the youtube channel it's in the zoom so how can we get them the zoom link dan you're asking probably the wrong guy. I know there's a link out there that you can click on to register. Uh, I'd imagine if you can't find it, you can email support at topstep.com or uh, look in our Facebook community. Yeah, email support at topstep.com or the Facebook community. They will have make Hogue money. That's where we take uh, live trades with John Hoagland, which people are into. We're going to do a lot more live trading. I think, Dan, we might even turn this into a little topstep power hour at some point and trade at the end of the day. It could be fun. Uh, but the fun I was referring to is, you know, last week we said that Elon Musk was up to 9.2% of Tesla. Now, um, now he wants to buy the entirety of Twitter and take it private. What's going on here? Well, like I think we said last week, um, when you have $3 billion, $300 billion, you want to spend it somehow. You know, he wants to buy Twitter. Um, I find it interesting. I, I'll tell you what I like about the whole situation, and I'm not saying I'm for or against him buying Twitter. I want to be clear on that. I don't want to talk about that part. Um, oh, we got Makehog's uh, money in the chat. Someone just dropped the link from Top Thank Step. you. You uh, are Thank you. Um, but I will say this. like When I look at what he's doing, it's like if I had $300 billion, I just wanted to go start spending money, I would. those are things I would do. I'd be like, oh. Twitter. That's an interesting company. I well, guess. I'm doing the value. I'll pay $43 billion, which pays out every share, $54 a share. It's trading 46 a share. Perfect. I'll pay a premium for it. I'll buy Twitter. Like, So I, I get, like, I look at it as, like, if I had this kind of money, I would be doing stupid stuff like that, too. Yeah, but, I mean, there's so many more fun, less stupid things you could do. You know, with $40 billion, you could probably buy every team in the NFL. <laughs> you could, you know... Start, start he's a tech guy he's not a sport guy but that's what's so weird about it it's just that the guy has so the guy needs more hobbies he just he just loves twitter it seems and remember even though he's the richest guy on earth he's worth like i don't know at this at price of tesla 280 billion dollars buying twitter for 40 billion dollars he's got to finance that or something he can't just 
what was he going to sell? You know, after taxes, he had to sell sixty billion dollars worth of Tesla stock. I mean, the investors aren't going to be fond of that. You know, I'm curious how much uh, cash he's got. Not a lot. That's why he sold. Um, that's why he had to sell all that Tesla stock a while ago. It's because he had the, those options exercise, right? Mm-hmm. And he needed to pay the taxes on them, which I think was like uh, 16, $11 billion, $11 billion right? Mm-hmm. So he would need to either find financing, which I, I do not know who in God's green earth is going to finance this because it's not like he he's not buying this to like make money for the shareholders. He's buying it to, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) All I look at it is it's a, it's a dramatic fun story to follow. I don't use Twitter. I could give, see, I do. I could give two, two craps about Twitter. Um, I have one. I've never actually. I think I've like tweeted four times in my whole life. I, oh, I, don't, I, I haven't don't scrolled through it. I just look. I haven't scrolled through it in forever. So like to me, I just think it's comical. I, I think it is just a comical story that's happening. And I I love the content that comes from Elon Musk over the last few years. Truly enjoyed watching everything. I watched that Joe Rogan podcast with him where he's coughing as he's smoking and. Yeah, he has kept me entertained the last few years. He is something else. So, yeah, I guess that's where we could leave it for today. So, do your journals, and maybe one day you can be like Elon Musk and buy, <laughs> I don't know, Snapchat or something like that. That'd be an interesting one if you tried to buy that. I'd be curious but if that's next on his list. It would at least make sense <laughs> that there's more. I mean, I I don't know. It's it's. It's wild. I can't wrap my head around this. It makes my I don't think anyone can other than him. And he's not even vocalizing it too much. What are the odds it happens? I don't think it I think it's very slim. I don't think it will. I don't think it will. But I think he's going to continue. Well, because he turned down the board seat because he wanted to continue buying more. Um, Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I guess we'll make this our weekly drama corner. Uh, Does Elon Musk have more Tesla or uh, Twitter? I like that. Yeah, the the Elon Musk corner. So that's all I got for today. Journal, awesome. keep your data. Stay safe out there. Namaste. Trade well, y'all. We'll see ya. This has been the Limit Up Podcast, produced by Top Step. Be sure to rate us, not hate us, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out topstep.com if you're interested in trying a trading combine and earning funding for your futures account. We'll see you soon.